let me tell you what happened to me this morning. I knew it was going to be a great day. I stopped by this morning at 7.25 a.m. I stopped by Panera Bread to fill up my little coffee thing that I put coffee in that keeps it warm all morning. And when I got there, 7.25 in the morning, and I walked up to the door, and I saw there was somebody about to come out the door. So being the gentleman I am, I opened the door and pulled the door back. And a young man comes out, and here's what happened. He looked at me and said, oh, Dr. Redmond, so good to see you. He said, let me tell you, I've been wanting to tell you this for several years. He said, do you remember the sermon that, I, that you preached long years ago and you used a passport in that sermon? And before I could say, yes, I do or no, I don't, he said, let me say this to you. That sermon changed my life. And I said to myself, this is going to be a good day. I mean, don't you just like something to happen early in the morning that makes you think it's going to be a good day? Do you ever have that happen? Do you ever have something happen in the morning where you say, I think it's going to be a bad day? You ever have that happen? It kind of works both ways. But I tell you what, the Lord has blessed this morning and we thank God for that. Now, I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and open, listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And while you're doing that, I want us to see in the Bible the earliest record that we have in the Bible of what we're going to be doing this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now you read about the Lord's Supper in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John chapter 13, you just read one verse that they had the supper, but no details about the supper. But the book of 1 Corinthians was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is our earliest record. And what's so exciting about this, Jesus himself gave these instructions to the apostle Paul. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul said, I receive from the Lord. That's from Jesus that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now watch carefully verse 27, because this is for us for now. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What are we to do? Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, watch this, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, that is, die prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now this morning... That's exactly what we're going to do. That's the little background of what we're about to do. Now, you know, in, in our church, we have things 
through the calendar year that I think we would say church-wide, they are big deals. For example, students, this past Wednesday night, you had a big deal. You called it launch. Now, here's what happened. Last Wednesday night, now think about this. Wednesday night, 303 of our students and their workers gathered together for this big deal they call launch. Now, what's so exciting to me, many of you had invited friends that you go to school with to come last Wednesday night. Now, everybody you invited didn't come, but here's what did happen. 28 that you invited did come. And here's what's really exciting, 20 Students last Wednesday night made spiritual decisions for the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. You know, if all of us followed your example, and this week all just invited some people to church, if we just invited one person, now everybody we invite will not come. But if all of us in this room invited just one person next Sunday to come to church, can you imagine there would be those come, and that's something we can all do. And I just commend you for your example. Well, I'll tell you another thing that is a big deal in the life of our church. It's in December, it's a singing Christmas tree. Since 1983, the singing Christmas tree has been a big deal at First Baptist Church in Pasadena. Hundreds of people are involved in it. Many we see in the tree. Even many more we don't see that are doing all kinds of things. People come, people are saved. It is a big deal in the life of the church. In, in December, we have the uh, carols and candles service. That is a big deal in our church. In December, on Christmas Eve, we have the Christmas Eve Lord's Supper. That is a big deal in the life of our church. Now, today, today is a big deal in the life of the church. And you say, why is that? Because today, we're going to take in a little bit this packet. We're going to eat the bread. We're going to drink the cup. We're going to do what the Bible says. And if we'll all stay together, it's going to be, you'll leave today saying, hey, today was a great day. Glad I came to church. I needed what we heard. I needed what we did. Now, if by any chance you have gotten into the room and do not have one of these packets, I'm hoping I have some people that are going to help me at this point. If you do not, if you just raise your hand, hold it just for a moment. Anybody, don't be embarrassed. You, you could have come in a side door where there weren't any of the little packets. Thank you. Now, there's some more. I tell you guys, if you'll come down to the front and look back, it's easier to see. I really thank you all for helping me with this. And at home, right over here, there's some more. Uh, don't, we're just going to take time. And while we're doing this in the room, uh, over here, there were some more hands lifted. At home, if you're where you can, uh, go in the kitchen, go wherever you keep your crackers, <laughs> and get you any kind of cracker. If you have any juice, get you some juice. If you don't have juice, get water. Put it in a cup. It's all symbolic. And I'll explain that later. Because we want you to participate with us in this room when we get ready to eat the bread and drink the cup. Men, I thank y'all for helping me get one of these packets to everybody in the room. That is so good. Now, to me, the Lord's Supper has always been a big deal. 
I became a Christian when I was in my almost eight years of age. I was just almost eight, but I was eight years of age before I ever had the Lord's Supper. I remember even today how excited I was that morning. My mother taking me to church and she said, now today will be your first time to ever have the Lord's Supper. And I just was so excited. And in, in a sense, that excitement has stayed with me all these years. Every time, whether I'm leading in the Lord's Supper or I'm in a service and somebody else leading the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is a big deal. Interestingly, four weeks from today, we leave, 96 of us leave going to the Holy Land in Israel. And on the last day that we're there, the last full day, we'll be in the garden tomb. Down at this end, here's Golgotha. And they will have a guide there to explain to us some things about Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. Then we'll turn. It's a beautiful garden. And we'll walk down to the other end of the garden. And there will be the empty tomb. And this is always the highlight of the trip. And I'll help people as they step into the tomb. They'll be able to go into the tomb and see where the Lord lay. And then finally, when we get all the people out of the tomb, there'll be an area set up for us and we'll be having the Lord's Supper. And then the following time that I will be involved in the Lord's Supper, will be back here in this church on Christmas Eve. We'll be having the Lord's Supper. And I'm telling you, it's just... It's like nothing else we do in the church. And I fear sometimes we don't understand how really important it is. Now, if you take your bulletin, there's a little blank space, or if you'll find one. I want to just, it'll be on the screen. I, I want to tell you why the Lord's Supper is so very important. It's, it's important that we remember it. And the reason is the Lord's Supper is a reminder. Now hear this, it's worth memorizing. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the importance of what the blood of Jesus does. And there it is on the screen. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of the importance of what the blood of Jesus does. Not just did, but does. And the difference that makes. Now, if you're turning your Bible to the book of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. It's over near the end of the New Testament. And I want to read this morning out of the New Living Translation. And whatever translation you have will be fine. In fact, I'll have some things on the screen that will even uh, help better understand what I speak at that point. But I don't think anybody God used to explain the importance of the Lord's Supper better than Peter is found. And in 1 Peter... In chapter number one, here's our text, beginning with verse 18, New Living Translation. The Bible says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Look in verse 20. God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Now, there, there are some important 
key words in those brief verses. And if you're a Bible underliner, I'd encourage you to underline them. If not, you might jot them down on your bulletin or whatever. But let's mention the first one. In the New Living Translation, one of the real important key words is this word ransom. R-A-N-S-O-M. Now you find that word in the New Living Translation and you find the little phrase were ransomed if you have the ESV. But if you have the King James and New King James, uh, the American Standard Version, some others, you, you find a different thing. You might find the word ransom. You may find the words were ransomed or you may find the word redeemed. In fact, most of your translations that you probably have, it's going to be the word redeemed. It doesn't matter. They're all painting the same picture. Now, understand something. This is the beauty of all these different translations. Whatever translation you have, the translators were translating from one simple Greek word. One simple Greek word. Lou treo. If you want to just write it out, it's L-O-O, pronounced Lou. T-R-O, pronounced Trey, and then dash O, Lutreo. So here's this Greek word, Lutreo. Well, the translators, the New Living Translation said, we're going to translate that word ransom. The ESV said, no, we're going to say we're ransom. And most of the other translations say redeemed. It's all talking about the same thing. It's like they're synonyms, one for the other. Now, you know what a ransom is. A ransom is a sum of money or some other payment that is paid for the release of someone or of something. A person's kidnapped. They want a ransom. So you're going to have a, you're going to pay either money or something to get the release of that person. Sometimes a country will uh, capture a person from another country and they'll hold them hostage and they'll say, okay, we'll, we'll give you this person back. You, you have one of our people in prison and it's going to be a prison swap. And America normally has never done that. Until recently, we've done that a time or two, but that's always been something we've, America's just said we're not going to pay ransoms for our people. We'll try to get them back diplomatically and in other ways. That's what a ransom is. Now, the word redemption, that's a very important word. Some of your translations have that word. What does the word redemption mean? Redemption is how the ransom is paid. That's just how simple it is. The ransom's a son of money, I know the payment that is paid for the release of someone or something, well, the process of doing that is redemption. So, whatever your translation, the whole idea is that Christ, he became our ransom, Christ became our payment for our sin debt. And his death on the cross, his redemption is how he did that. It is a very, very beautiful thing. Now, another key word, in the New Living Translation, it's two words. It's empty life. Look in verse 18 again. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. Now, if you look on the screen, depending on what translation you have, some took that one Greek word. They said, we're going to translate it empty life. Others said, no, we're going to translate it aimless conduct. Or some said, no, vain conversation. Others said, futile ways. 
Others say are empty way of life. Others say for vain manner of life. So the translators are all trying to explain it. I like, I like this whole empty life. What does it mean? What does it refer to? It refers, Peter is referring as he wrote this letter to these believers scattered in five different parts of the Roman world at that time. It refers to their life before they were converted, their unconverted life. See, without Christ, hear me, you, you have an empty life. Now, what people do, they try to fill that empty life in a lot of different ways. And it never works. So they try something different or they try something more. That's how drugs, you know, drugs normally start out. It used to. It would be some, we'd call it kind of a mild drug. Well, that drug didn't satisfy for very long, so the drug people began to have more powerful drugs. So people said, well, I think I'll try this other drug, or I'll try this, or I'll try that, or I'll try whatever it may be. God created a hole that can only be filled by he himself. And I'm just saying the translator in this translation that says the unconverted life is an empty life, it is an empty life. And the sad thing is many people live much, if not all their life and never figure out till the end, the whole thing was vanity of vanities. That's what Solomon said. He tried everything under the sun and he said, vanity is vanity. Everything is nothing. Well, this is what Peter is saying here, and it's a very clear and a wonderful thing. Now, here's the good news, and we see it in verse 20. God, who knows everything, knew, he knew how to solve the problem before the creation of the world. And this whole idea of Christ being our ransom and being the redemption for our sins was God's plan before, hear this, God even created the world. Look in verse number 20. The Bible says God chose him. Your translation may say foreordained. It may say foreknown. Well, here's the whole idea. God chose Jesus as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he has been revealed to us. Well, See, Christ's death on the cross was not some afterthought that God came up with. God didn't look down from heaven and say, oh my gracious, mankind has sinned. I've got to figure out a way to deal with this. No, God had it all planned out. When did God have it all planned out? Before he ever even created the world. This has always been God's plan that Christ through his shed blood would be the way to have our sin debt paid. You might want to just jot this verse down. It'll be on the screen. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7, the Bible says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In him, not in you, not in the church, not in anything or anybody, but him, Jesus alone, in him, we have redemption. How do we have redemption? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Well, it is a marvelous thing. Now, if you have a bulletin and would take your bulletin, I want us to look at quickly a couple of little words you might want to fill in. See, the blood of Jesus, 
That's why we have the Lord's Supper, to remember the importance of the blood of Jesus and what his shed blood does. The blood of Jesus is really why you came to church today. I mean, were it not for his blood shed, (laughs) there'd be no reason to come to church. I mean, what would we have to offer? And sad it is that in our day, in our day, so many good people every Sunday go to church and hear so little about the blood of Jesus. It's just like we don't talk about the blood of Jesus. (laughs) The blood of Jesus is the whole story. He is our ransom, his redemption, God's way of taking for our sins. And the blood of Jesus, first of all, why is it so important? What is the big deal about the Lord's Supper? Here it is. The blood of Jesus saves us. The blood of Jesus saves us. Not going to church, not church membership, not baptism, not the Lord's Supper, not living a good life, not being born in America, not not by doing good things. See, there's nothing you and I can do. Now, we we need to go to church. That's what we should do. The Bible teaches that. We need to take the Lord's Supper. The Bible commands that. We need to be baptized. The Bible commands that. I mean, all these are great things, but we don't do them to take care of our sins. We do them in remembrance of the one who did take care of our sins, Jesus Christ, through his perfect, precious, unblemished blood shed for you and me. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. But now listen to this. The blood of Jesus not only saves us, the blood of Jesus cleanses our traveling stains. You ought to write this one down. See, most of you are already saved. If you're not, I pray in a few minutes you will be. But all of us, Everybody in this room, everybody watching, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, as you journey along in life, and you won't have to journey very far, you'll have what I'm calling traveling stains. Now, write this verse down. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. In fact, let's just turn to it in our Bible. Is this be a page or two over? First John, we're in the neighborhood. The book of First John, I'm going to wait for you to get there. Let me say this to you. The entire little book of First John was written to believers, written to believers, to you and to me. And in First John chapter 1, verse 7, I want you to look what the Bible says. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Now watch this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from, what's the next word? All, let's say it together, all sins, traveling stains. We go through life, and it's not so much the sins of commission, the things we do. It may be more the sins of omissions. For example, the Bible says we have to trust God. Things happen in life, we begin to doubt. Say, well, I know God says he'll meet all of our needs, but I don't know about this. I don't know how this is going to work out. Well, if God said it, that settles it. And if we don't believe it, see, faith and doubt are two opposites. In In life, 
things happen. And we sometimes, I say our faith begins to waver. Our faith gets weak. There, there's some things out here in life that can be very tough. And if we're not careful, we begin to doubt God. That is a sin. Oh, we, we don't do things God says we should do. That is a sin. It's, it's not always the bad things we do. It's the good things God teaches us that we don't do. And we get these traveling sins. We, we have a bad attitude or we have an unforgiving spirit. These are traveling stains and we deal with them every day of our life. And here's the wonderful news. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all these things. So here's what I'm saying to you. You talk about the blood of Jesus like I mess up, you mess up, we know we've messed up. What do you do? Well, you can wallow around your guilt or you can, you can repent, you can make right whatever your mess up was, whatever you need to do. Put it under the blood of Jesus and you leave it there. Now, let me tell you how this works because we all do it. We all mess up and we, we ask God to forgive us. We feel pretty good about it. But then after a while, the devil begins to say, you know, you really made a mess back there. God can never use you to do anything. You, you never will be what you could have been. You just, you just have really fouled up. No, that's what the devil says. What God says is, no, when you mess up and have these old traveling stains, you put them on the blood of Jesus, listen carefully, and you leave them there. And the next time the devil comes back to remind you about that, you say, devil, in fact, it might be good to take your Bible, go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, and if you've got something in your life right now that is making you think that because you did this or you didn't do that, that you're some kind of spiritual leper, you need to go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, and maybe go down to verse 9 as well. It says, we confess our sins. God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse of all unrighteousness. And just, you might do it today. Just write 9, 10, 23. Put your initial there. If you have a, someone you can really trust, that you can share something and they not betray you, you might go to them and say, you know, I, I don't want to go into detail about it, but I've asked God to forgive me here. I put it on the blood of Jesus. Verse 7, verse 9, I've initially, I'd like you to be a witness. Let them be your witness. Then the next time that the devil comes to do business with you, get your Bible and say, wait a minute, Dale. Right here on 9, 10, 20, 23, I put that on the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven. And the Bible says God not only forgives our sins, the Bible says God forgets our sins, and all of that takes place because of the blood of Jesus. You know, Simon Peter is a great illustration. Turn back in your Bible to the Gospel of John, one other little place, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Turn to chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's really interesting. They're in the upper room and Jesus is going around to his disciple washing their feet. And in John chapter 13, in verse 6, if you follow me in the Bible, it says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. 
Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Then Simon Peter exclaimed in verse 9, then wash my hands, my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Now, Peter was saved. When he was in the upper room with Jesus on this night, he was saved. But old Peter had some traveling stains, and he needed to be cleansed all over. And that's what Jesus was saying to him. And I'm saying to you this morning, well, you picked a great day to come to church. This is one of those days we all can say, hey, some part of this sermon was for me. If you are a believer this morning, if you are a Christian, you know you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe long ago, maybe recently. But here's the deal. <laughs> Unless you just became Christian about five seconds ago, I can assure you, you have some traveling stains. We all do. We all do. And here's the good news. The blood of Jesus. This morning, you're going to have a moment to just put them on the blood of Jesus. You're going to have a moment to ask God's Holy Spirit to help you think of a thought you had, a word you spoke, an attitude, whatever it might be, a deed, whatever, and say, God, I just, I kind of wish I hadn't done that, wish I hadn't said that, wish I hadn't felt that way. Okay, that's good. Now, let's do what the Bible says. Put it on the blood that cleanses off all sins. In a moment while you're having time to pray that prayer, I'm going to give those that are not sure if they died this week, they'd go to heaven. Some of you, would, if you told the truth, would say, well, first of all, you'd say, I don't plan to die this week. Most folks don't plan to die when they die. True. Some kind of know it's coming. We all know one day it's coming, but not, we just figure it's coming later sometime. We don't know. What we do know is one day, now listen to me, if Jesus tears, one day, every person in this room, all of us will die. Die. You're going to die. Your body will die. It may die at a young age. It may die at an old age. It'll die. But inside of our bodies is our soul. And our soul has two possibilities. Heaven or hell. That's it. There is no in between. You say, well, I'll just worry about that later. <laughs> when you die, it's too late to worry about it. It's over. It's finished. But this morning, today's your day. In a moment, if you say, I want to know 100%, without a doubt, I'm saved, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment. But I want us all to bow our heads now at this moment, every head bowed. Those of you that are believers, you're Christian. You, 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 you may say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, all right, but I have some traveling stains. This is your day. Couldn't have come to church on a better day because I'm encouraging you this morning and your head's bowed and heart's open. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you anything in your life that would really be like a traveling stain. Ask God to forgive you. Put it under the blood of Jesus and let it stay there. All over this room, I'm hoping all of us are praying that prayer. 
That's one reason I came to church extra early this morning. I knew at this point I was going to be leading. I couldn't be praying. I'd be praying with people. But I knew I needed to get down here this morning about my own traveling stains. So I got here extra early and just got along with the Lord and asked the Holy Spirit. I said, God, before I go out there to preach, I know some traveling stains, but God, there may be others that I've missed, I've forgotten, didn't see. And I had some of the sweetest prayer time this morning doing what I'm asking believers to do right now. While believers are praying that prayer, those that are not 100% sure, you say, you know, I want today to settle that. I want to settle that so I'll never have to deal with this again. All right? In your heart to God, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me so much that you let your son shed his blood to pay my sin debt. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me a Christian. I trust you, Jesus, for my salvation. I don't trust my church for my salvation. I don't trust my pastor for my salvation. I don't trust my grandmother for my salvation. I don't trust my mother and father for my salvation. I trust you, Jesus, and you alone for my salvation. I don't trust my good life. I don't trust anything about myself. I'm putting my trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I've settled my salvation. And when I stand before you, if you were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? I would say, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. God, I bless you for these moments. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.